We're going to pray over all of these things at the end during our small group time. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why you guys want to pray so much. <laughs> oh, there you go. Pray without ceasing. Yeah, the hockey game was super fun. That thanks to whoever set that up. That was great. Um, we should do we should do that again. Would be my vote. Let's do another hockey game sometime. The Kansas City Mavericks beat the Utah Grizzlies nine to two. It's like it was like uh Pale kicking. It was, uh, yeah. So super fun. Yeah, I really <clears throat> enjoyed that a lot. So, in fact, my twins, they brought a friend. He's lost. They're trying to build relationships. And and um, so I think it was good that way. Um, and my my kids were actually looking at, like, season tickets and stuff. So I think, they, like, they had fun, too. So it was a good time. This is our last week in our Israel God's timepiece series. So we we've seen, okay, it is possible to have understanding like the children of Issachar to where you can understand the times. So there were people in the Bible like the children of Issachar, like Daniel, like the wise men who understood the times in which they lived and that gave them insight into what to do. So we've talked about how in order to do that, we have to have a biblical worldview. We have to see the world through the eyes of Scripture, not through all the other millions of voices trying to inform our, our thinking. And then we need to have um, so a biblical worldview and a biblical mindset. We need knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. We've covered those things by examining current headlines. Things in the, the headlines in the news today, we've seen wars and rumors of war. That's really what triggered this series was the fact that the current Hamas-Israel war looks like it was scripted right out of, of Psalm 83. We kind of studied that out. Um, we've seen earthquakes in diverse places. We saw the restoration of Israel exactly as prophesied in Daniel when Scott presented the math on that. Last week, we looked at the great falling away, the apostasy, which marks the end times. And so all of these things are right are things that we're seeing in our headlines currently, if you've been watching the news. And they are they are prophesied in Scripture as things which mark the end times. And what we saw is that time is running out. So God gives us insight into end times events. Why? Well, so we can understand the times and know what to do. And the church age, which had a beginning, okay, also has an end. And then it goes back to being a Jewish thing, this tribulation, this time of tribulation to come. So what we saw was Last week, we saw that time is running out. Okay, Ecclesiastes talks about whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might, for there is no work, device, knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave where thou goest. And we looked last week at finishing our course. Okay, before time or chance happens to us and we end up in the grave, or before the rapture happens and it's too late. 
So, so we, we saw all that last week. And so this week, we're going to look at one last marker of the end times. And what we're going to see is that we live in an age which, which has the church of the latter day scoffers. Okay. Church of the latter day scoffers. Scoffers is what goes in the blank. And, and we're going to be in second Peter chapter three, where we're going to see this. There shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lust. That's second Peter chapter three. If you haven't already, go ahead and turn to second Peter chapter three and, and we're going to be talking about scoffers. So I've got a picture of them. You guys want to see some scoffers? All right. Here's some scoffers. All right. If, well, I don't either. You're going to like them less after today. Okay. You guys know about woke culture. You know about cancel culture. Um, you can't make fun of gay people anymore. You can't make fun of trans people. You can't make fun of white people. Well, you can probably make fun of white people. You can't make fun of, like, racial. Like, you can't make. Everybody's so sensitive, right? Everybody's offended at everything all the time. Guess what the only thing you can make fun of anymore is? Yeah, Christianity. So, scoffers, those are mockers, means to mouth, or, or like, um, hey guys, Jesus is coming back soon, and the, the scoffer, the mocker is like, Jesus is coming back soon. That, that's, what that, that's what that is. Okay, so these guys mock, they make fun of the only thing left to make fun of, which is like... Um, like conservative. So Newsweek, so we're looking at headlines. So the reason that how we got here is because the headline from Newsweek on October 31st said, Mike Johnson's biblical beliefs brutally mocked by late night TV. Okay, so this is a Newsweek article that 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 is presenting this. Here's what the article says. This is this is um Colbert. I'm quoting Colbert. Being biblically faithful is not easy for a guy from Louisiana. So he's making fun of Mike Johnson, the Speaker of the House. Okay. Being biblically faithful is not easy for a guy from Louisiana because now he has to give up shrimp, crab, oyster, and barbecue pork, he said. And I'm sure he's going to miss his wife when she has to be cast out of town during the time of her blood, only to be allowed to return when she brings two turtle doves to the tabernacle for the priest to sacrifice. And then everybody laughs. Colbert then shared a clip of Johnson speaking on the house floor in which the, the comedian described as a crazy interpretation of the separation of church and state. And then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip a, a sexual innuendo in which Colbert is... Um, suggesting that Johnson is, is not keeping a separation of church and state by having biblical beliefs. And he's trying to slip in religion into the state 
and I'm going to leave out the sexual in in innuendo. Um, sorry. <laughs> he said he, he he wants to take rights away from gay people, and that's how he's doing this. I'm going to skip it because it's it's crude. The TV host then spoke about how Johnson attempted to get funding to build a life-size Noah's Ark encounter where children can learn that dinosaurs were passengers on the ark. Yes, many early humans had dinosaurs as pets. It's right here in the book of Hanna-Barbera, Colbert joked, referring to the Flintstones before offering up a fake reading of the book. Colbert poked fun at Johnson's literal interpretation of the Bible and that its events are actual historical events before cutting to the trailer for the fake film Jurassic Ark. So he's he's mercilessly and crudely Okay, he doesn't know how to rightly divide his Bible. So so he's he's mischaracterizing and mocking the one thing left to mock conservatives and their biblical views. The Bible says in the last days scoffers shall arise okay so late night tv hosts these are our scoffers our mockers they 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 are the poster children at least for them of the 2215 political jokes made on jimmy kimmel live 1960 or 88 percent of them were directed at conservatives just like we just read about Kimmel, uh, let's see, Colbert's show, 86% were blasting conservatives. And I'm not, I'm not, I don't preach politics, okay? I don't care how you vote. I'm just making the point that these guys are the, 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 the heads, the talking heads for mockers in the last time. So what, how many people on our planet watch television? Anybody know? Any guesses? How many people would? Worldwide. I don't have it in percentage. I just have the number. 5.5 billion people on our planet. So you guys could do the math yourself. 5.5 billion people on our planet are watching as the world stops. Okay, like it's hard to be funny because it's the things that are funny is when we make fun of ourselves as, as people, but you can only, okay, attacking conservative viewpoints and biblical worldview isn't actually funny. That's not comedy, it's mocking. And the world that hates God gets off on mocking God and people that love God. People that believe his word have become the only targets left, which is what the Bible said was going to happen. In the last days, there shall be scoffers mocking and mouthing. And that's what we want to look at today, because that's the situation that we find ourselves in. That's the headlines that we're seeing. And so, so just in terms of explanation, a, a scoffer or a mocker doesn't take what they're told properly. Okay. Watch out, your house is on fire. And they'll just like, your house is on fire as they burn to death. They, they will not listen. They will not receive instruction. And what we're going to see today 
is that in second peter believers are told look don't don't follow after like you need to make sure you're listening you need to make sure the things that we receive we're actually going to act on that we're and, and i put it this way in your notes we must be motivated by what we know we can't be like the mockers and the scoffers who hear the truth, but then they just disregard it, make fun of it, mock it, okay? So what we see, let's look at 2 Peter chapter 3 together. In verses 1 through 7, we get a good look at these scoffers. So I'm going to read that. This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts and saying, like in their whiny, snarky voices, where is the promise of his coming? Like I just, ah, okay. <laughs> Sorry. For since the, <laughs> I know it. It's just like, mm. For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Look, there was a big bang and things have just been evolving ever since. What are you talking about? Like, like that's their mindset, right? Things have continued from the beginning. You're talking about Christ's return. You're talking about judgment. And they're just scoffing and mocking. Verse 5. For this they willingly are ignorant of that by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the earth that then was being overflowed with water perished. Look, they're ignorant of the fact that there was a judgment upon the earth that was set up from the beginning. The earth that was then was created with judgment in mind. And sure enough, that judgment happened, okay? And the, the heavens and the earth that was perished because of that judgment. They, they are willingly ignorant of that fact. Also, verse 7, but the heavens and earth which are now by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of godly men. So here we see our scoffers living in a world that is ripe for judgment, just like it happened before in the flood, it's going to happen again. Now, is God going to send a worldwide flood again? How do you know God's not going to flood the earth? Right? What's our sign of that? The rainbow. That's what the rainbow means in culture today, right? <laughs> isn't that, isn't that, interesting um okay so so don't don't miss this just like judgment was coming back then okay god's not going to flood the earth again he promised he would not do a worldwide flood but it is actually reserved unto a fiery judgment okay so there is judgment that's going to come now the scoffers they will not consider that they're they're willfully ignorant of the judgment of god None of us really like to think about a fiery judgment from God, but especially people that are lost and want to do what they want to do and are full of sin. So that's verses one through seven. We get introduced to kind of these 
scoffers in the context, verse 8 is a super interesting verse. It says, But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. So as we're thinking about a fiery judgment upon the, the planet, okay, Peter brings up this point. A day with the Lord is like a thousand years and a thousand years as a day. Why, why did he bring that up? Okay, we're going to see in just a second. But understand that verse is a super important verse in your Bible. Okay, so eschatology is a study of like end times events. So it's an it's a key to eschatology that a day with the Lord is as a thousand years. You can time out human history like that. Okay, you can say, well, it you know it took four thousand years for Christ to come. If you do, if you look at the chronology of the Bible, and then and then we know the last thousand years. That's the millennium. Okay. So 4,000 years to Christ, and then 1,000 years, that's 5,000 years. That leaves 2,000 years for the church age. A day with the Lord is as 1,000 years. There's God's week, okay? 7,000 years. Okay, so, but in this passage, we get it, we, we look at the next few verses. Let's look at the goodness and severity of God in verses 9 and 10, and we'll come back to that one in a 1,000 thing. The, the goodness and the severity of God in verses 9 and 10. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness. So the scoffers are saying, well, why hasn't Christ returned yet? You know, well, it's not because the Lord is slack. I mean, that's kind of that's kind of what they're saying. Like, like the Lord should have, if there is a Lord, if there is, how come he hasn't come back yet? Okay. Um, if there's a judgment for sin, how come he hasn't judged sin yet? Okay, and so the, the answer is, well, it's not because the Lord is slack. It's not because he's not paying attention. It's not because he's lazy. It's not because he's sleeping or something. But he is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The reason he hasn't come back yet is so you and I could get saved. So that that scoffing uh, mocker could fall down on his knees and be born again and become a new creature, just like us, could become a recipient of God's love and God's grace. That's why he hasn't come back yet, because he doesn't want anybody to perish. He's putting it off, right? But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Whoa, there is, that's, a, that's an amazing judgment. Everything, like, like we, we think of things as being pretty permanent. That's all going to burn. It's all going to burn. We see the goodness and severity of God in those verses. And then, you know, in verse 12, we see the day of God wherein the, the heavens shall be on fire and shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. In verse 10, it was the day of the Lord in which the heavens shall pass away. So, so let me ask you a question. If the day of the Lord includes that fiery dissolution of all things and the day of God okay, includes the heavens being on fire, is that the same day? Is that talking about the same judgment? 
Let me ask it this way. Is the judgment at the day of the Lord, that's Christ's return, the same judgment as the day of God when the heavens and earth shall be dissolved with fire? Is that the same thing? It's not the same thing. The day of the Lord, okay? So we're going to put the day of the Lord right here. That occurs at the second coming. There's a battle of Armageddon that happens right here. Okay, so this is at the end of the tribulation. Okay, before the 1,000-year millennium. Okay, at the end of the millennium, okay, the thousand-year physical, literal reign of Christ on a throne in Jerusalem, we have the day of God, and there's another judgment there, the great white throne of judgment. You read about this at the end of your Bible, okay, but we this would be the day of God. Now, at this point, heaven and earth are dissolved which is just like a freaky thing to think about. Standing there before God, you're standing on nothing. Like, whoa. Okay. And then we we enter into eternity future, which, which we know there's a new heaven and a new earth. This is the day of God and this is the day of the Lord. But in 2 Peter, it says it's the same judgment happens on the same day. How is that possible? Who said that? See, Heather's such a good student. Okay. <laughs> the beginning of this day and the end of this day, or this is where we're given the key. You can't make sense of this passage without 2 Peter 3, 8. Because this, the beginning of the day and the end of the day, is all part of this thousand-year-old day. Same day. It's the same day according to the Lord. Now for us, it's a thousand year period of time. It's an era. It's an epic. It's like a really long time. But for God, it's not a really long time because one day with the Lord, 2 Peter 3, 8, 1 to 1,000. So anyway, there you go. There's our Bible study session for this morning. There's all, we, we could get into the flood. Like which flood is that talking about? There's more than one flood is it Noah's Ark or is it is it the flood that happened before that? Like, we don't have time to get into that because we need to move on here. Because what we're going to see is there's a there's a personal application for us. The headlines are showing we are living in the the latter times, the last days. The mockers don't hear instruction. They don't hear God's word. They don't take heed. They don't take a warning, and they are condemned. Okay, what about us? What? Okay, so we're given some personal application, both generally and then specifically in this passage. That's what we're going to look at now. So generally speaking, verses 11 through 13. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. What things? Everything. Look, everything. Anything that's a thing, okay, is going to get dissolved. Does that include your car? Yeah. Does it include your house? Does it, does it include my, my new shoes, which I just love? 
Pastor Mata told me to buy these shoes, and I'm just like, yes, sir. And I just love them. They're so they're 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 on sale, like eighty percent off or something. They're gonna burn up. Your uh, retirement gonna burn up. I'm not saying you shouldn't have one. You should, but it's it's gonna burn up. Everything. Look, okay. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming day of the Lord, wherein the heavens shall be on being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. And so so here's what we see from a personal standpoint. First of all, we are supposed to have a holy conversation. Now, a holy conversation, that word conversation in your King James Bible means your lifestyle. It's telling us we should have a holy, that is, set apart lifestyle. Your lifestyle needs to be set apart from, from what? Oh, from the world that you were called out of when you were born again. Okay, so we are to have a conversation, a lifestyle that is set apart, that looks different from the world. Okay? It is your lifestyle that's based on your citizenship. Okay? It's not just your lifestyle, but it, uh, uh, the conversation is, is your lifestyle that's based on your citizenship. So your lifestyle, like, I don't know, Fareed, maybe your lifestyle here would look different than your lifestyle in Kazakhstan. Maybe there's enough cultural differences that those lifestyles would look different. Well, your lifestyle should reflect your citizenship in heaven, not your citizenship here on this earth, which is reserved unto fire and destruction. Make sense? So we're supposed to have a holy lifestyle. Number two, we're supposed to be, uh, we're supposed to have godliness. Okay, now godliness is going to be contrasted in your Bible with greediness. Okay, the fallen nature is all about self and it's about me performing and me providing for myself. It's about me promoting myself. Now, a lot of believers will use their church structure to do that to try to promote themselves and, and, and they'll use their, their jobs to try to build up a, their own little kingdom. Okay. It's contrasted with godliness. So instead of me trying to really promote myself, I should really be focused on just trying to be like Christ, just, just trying to live a godly life. Now here's the cool part. Okay. If I can just be godly, and live according to God's word. Everything else falls into place. So I'll give you an example. What if I really want to have friends? Okay, but but I'm, I'm not mature. I don't know how to do it. And I'm just running around everywhere trying to get people to like me. Okay. And I'm, and I'm kind of needy. And I'm always, I'm clingy and I'm needy and I'm running around trying to get everybody to like me and I'm... I'm like pinging little sonar pings and see what bounces back because I really want people to like me. Okay, that's one thing I could do. I'm promoting myself. I'm protecting myself. 
I'm using the people around me to meet my emotional needs because I'm needy and I'm just trying to, or, or, or. Godliness would say, look, just be like Christ. So I start esteeming you better than myself. And I start doing a lot more listening than I do speaking. And I, and I begin to promote you and provide for you. I don't look on my own things. I look on the things of others. And I'm just really focused on being Christ and making sure that every time we get together, you know you're loved and you know that God loves you and that I love you. And I'm always asking like, hey, what can I do for you? Okay, who's gonna have friends? The guy who just trusts in godliness? Or the person who's running around trying to promote, protect, and provide for themselves. If we, okay, the position of godliness is a position of trust that says, if I can just, if I can just live a godly life, God's going to take care of everything else. Through my faith, his grace will be poured out on my relationships, on my finances, on my career, and on my family. Because really, all people need to see out of me is just Christ in me. Okay, so so First Timothy chapter 6 talks about it from a financial standpoint. But godliness with contentment, great gain. Look, if I can just be godly, that's enough for me. That fellowship that I have in Christ will be enough for me. I'm not actually going to be needy. Okay, for we brought, I mean, I am needy, but God's going to meet those needs. For we brought nothing into this world, and it's certain we can carry nothing out. So this is talking about your stuff, my stuff. Having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. But they that will be rich, here's the contrast. This is why I say, be, you know, godliness, not greediness. They that will be rich, doesn't say they that are rich. If my goal is to be rich instead of be godly, fall into temptation and a snare and into any into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drowned men in destruction and perdition for the love of money is the root of all evil okay which while some have coveted after they've erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows so a couple points on this it doesn't say they that are rich it says they that will be rich if your heart's desire is to be rich, which is like what? I can buy what I want, when I want, however I want. I can do whatever. It's like, it's just like self is now unlicensed to do whatever. That's what this is talking about. Okay, so money's not the root of all evil. The love of money is. They So if you have money, don't, don't give it like it's okay just don't be greedy be godly make sense okay so we should have a holy conversation our citizenship should be based on our heavenly okay uh citizenship not who we are on earth godliness not greediness in the passage we just read we saw that they are aware of this coming fire okay seen um looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God where the heavens will be. Okay, we see that day coming. We're aware of a coming fiery judgment, but that's not the motivation. Okay, 
are nevertheless, verse 13, we according to his promise look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. So we're aware of this coming fire, but we're motivated by the promises of a new heaven and new earth. That should be in general kind of something, a personal application that as we see the headlines and we recognize we're living in the last days, this ought to be our response, okay? Now, there's some specific applications as well in, in verses 14 through 18. So let's read these. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. Okay, so our first personal application specifically is to have a walk that is spotless. Now, can you walk on this earth and not get dirty? No, but, but, um, so I've been to India multiple times. I'm going back this year. Pray about coming with me to India. Let's go to India. Okay. On the missions trip, the big trip, not easy trip. Like we're going to go to the top of the mountain this time to the village that they don't take Americans to because we're too out of shape and we, we won't make it. I'm a hundred percent serious. Like we're going to go up there. Okay. Okay. In India. It's kind of filthy. They don't have a trash service. The trash service are the pigs and the monkeys. So they just take their trash and they go throw it over the wall into like this lot everywhere. There's just trash everywhere. There's pigs that rooting around in every village and every city. <clears throat> and it's filthy. You're, you're not walking on side, outside of the big city area. You're not walking on sidewalks. You're, you're walking in mud and dirt. Okay. We go there and we're like, this is gross. Okay, but if you watch the Indians, they will end their day with clean shoes, with a clean shirt, with clean hands. Okay, when we Americans go there, we get all dirty. Like we don't know how to be, to, to be careful where we put our feet like they do. So after eating, and they, they don't use silverware, they eat with their hands. So they're eating rice with their hands. So they're grossed out at how dirty we are personally because we're used to a clean environment. And we don't really have to be very careful where we walk. And, and it's like, oh, man, I got spaghetti sauce on my shirt. Again, 54 years old, still getting spaghetti sauce on my shirt. Yeah, they learned at, at four years old not to, because why? Because their environment is dirty and they've learned to walk very circumspectly. At the end of the day, I'm all wrinkled and dirty and sweaty and my shoes are filthy and they're just still perfectly clean. I'm like, they've learned to walk circumspectly, be spotless. Now, we can't be spotless. It's not in us. But we can make sure that when we get dirty, we confess and God cleanses us from all sin, okay? You all do laundry, right? Okay? That's how we stay spotless, is you got to do laundry every once in a while. You have to take a shower, right? That's how we stay spotless. It's not sinless perfection in which you never get dirty and you never mess up. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? But look, you got you to gotta clean up when you get spotted, and that's how, you, how, how we... Uh, 
First John. Refer back to the First John series. Okay. Okay. Verse 15. And account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you. Okay, so, so number one is spotless in our walk. Number two specific is account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. We already talked about God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance in 2 Peter 3, 9. Now it says you and I are supposed to account that the long-suffering of God is salvation. What's that mean? It means that in the time we have left before Christ returns, we need to be part of the gospel ministry in some way. That's why you're here on the planet. Is he's not willing that any should perish and that the time we have left, it is supposed to be account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. So we need to be about the gospel ministry. Now, Sam has, has put out a vision for 300 salvations in our church in 2024. So we've got a core of about 40 people and living well. So I did the math. Okay, there were 500 people here uh, when when at, at Midtown the day that Sam put that out there. So if we're 40 people out of 500, we're we're eight percent of this church as a group. Okay, that's not 0 0.08. It's I messed up my decimals. Okay, but eight percent times 300 salvations in 2024 means that the living well class, to do our part, we need 24 salvations in 2024. Okay, now, we've had one profession of faith. Christine led um, Deanne. Huh? Brianna. Yes, sorry. Sorry. Led Brianna to the Lord. Now, into a profession of faith. I'd be a lot more comfortable if she was here with us taking COD next week. Um, okay, 24 salvations and living well in 24. Then, like, it's even easy to remember. Look at that. Let's, let's be part of gospel ministry. Amen. Okay, so there's different ways to do that. We'll be talking about that throughout the year. I think the main thing is just let's, let's commit to it. Let's plan on it. Have you read the book yet? How to Pray for the, Effectively for the Lost, the yellow... Here, hold that book up again, Keith. Okay, these are available at the Connections counter. Hey, praise the Lord. I hope it goes from bright yellow to dingy level soon. That's... Uh, okay, so read that book and then start praying effectively for the lost. And I, I think we could do way more than 24 salvations, but... The next one, verse um, 17. This may be the most important application of all of this. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware lest ye also, being led away with the air of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. Okay, so it is possible to fall from your own steadfastness. I know people who are less committed now than than the first month after they got saved. 
How can that be? Like you're supposed to grow and mature. That's what the next verse says. The next verse says, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to him be glory both now and forever. How is it possible that someone could be born again, committed, like they're like this new creature in Christ and it's all fresh and it's new life and it's exciting. And then a year later, five years later, 10 years later, 20 years later, instead of growing in grace and growing in knowledge and fellowship with the Lord, and, and each other, now they're like going to fall away. They're not going to be steadfast anymore. And why? Well, I just got tired. Okay, I hate this time of year. It's like seasonal affective disorder. I'm all sad for no reason. I want to go hibernate and just eat stuff and sleep. So cold in my house in the mornings. Christine's got the thermostat control on her app. It's 57 degrees during this cold spell. I'm like, no, we're not doing 57 degrees. That's too cold. <laughs> yeah. I just. So here's what happens you get tired. It's like Sam was preaching this morning, and maybe you get a little depressed or detached or divided or discouraged. Why? Because. Because life under the sun can just be a drag sometimes. And you get tired and you get separated. And then what happens is next thing you know, like coming and joining us is optional. Like, yeah, we were up late last night. Let's just watch online or whatever. And, 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 then, and then, oh, let's just skip discipleship this week. We're tired. And then what happened? Like, like, okay, so... <clears throat> The, the the falling away, we talked about that last week, the church falls away, okay? The admonition this morning from Scripture is it's possible for us to fall away from our steadfastness. That's the great temptation in the last days for us as God's people to enter into a place of complacency, okay? So we understand the finished work of Christ. I got my ticket to heaven I'm far, I'm farther, you know, I'm far enough along in life. Don't have to do things I used to have to do. Now I can kind of do what I want. And then the temptation is I'm going to fall away. I'm not going to be what? Steadfast. Okay, so here's here's the image that comes into my mind. Every morning I can get up and I can put on my cruise ship outfit my board shorts my hawaiian shirt my straw hat my sunglasses and get ready to go sit on the the lido deck right on the cruise ship of life with the aqua theater the solarium the casinos restaurants zip lines bars and i could just i can be a, a like a, have a cruise ship mentality right or i can get i i can wake up and I can put on my uniform because I'm going to be getting on a battleship, a rescue ship to rescue the perishing. So that ship is not, it's not about the same thing as the cruise ship. Okay. The cruise ship, I want to find a comfortable seat with the view over the ocean. And I'll be like, uh, later. 
my glass is empty. And then you're just going to be like getting comfort, ease, and pleasure. I don't know. Okay. And then, the, but the, the rescue ships, the battleships, they have things like, um, they have things like um, posts that people need to fill. They have people, they, they have like, some of these rescue ships, I looked up rescue ships. There's some pretty cool rescue ships. They look at things like how, how maneuverable the mobility of these ships. What's the crew size? What is their rescue capability? Some of these have infrared cameras that can see people in the water that you can't see with a naked eye and they can find people to rescue. What's their horsepower? What's their speed? What medical equipment do they have on board? What's their range, their safety? What's their tonnage? Like a rescue ship is all about very different things than a cruise ship is about. So every morning we get up and it's one or the other. And I used to think like I could be doing okay in my spiritual walk. The reality is I'm either doing one or the other. Okay, so I'm either training to get in shape like Sam's preaching about or I'm not. But there is no like I'm coasting through life. I'm either on a cruise ship or I'm on a rescue ship. So Aaron, are you still doing push-ups? All right, so so when did you start doing push-ups? Oh, of course. All right, so Aaron's doing push-ups. Are you doing them every day? Okay, how, how many are you doing now? Okay, so the Aaron Cross push-up plan, push-up challenge. Okay, you started at 25 a day? Okay, did that for... Okay, so four days ago, you, you went up to 50 a day. Okay. Huh? Are you doing 50 in a row? No. No, 25, 25. Okay. Shelly, I love you. Ask him if he's eating vanilla ice cream, too. That's good. <laughs> okay now look either aaron's doing push-ups every day or he's not so if you're doing push-ups every day you're getting stronger which is evidence because you went from 25 a day to 50 a day you're like i'm ready to, to go up yeah okay but if you're not doing push-ups or something equivalent every day guess what you're getting weaker you're either getting stronger or you're getting weaker. You're either moving forward in your faith or you're not. But there is no, like, coasting. Okay, so so in our small groups, I, I guess the, the let's go ahead and pray over these things. Let's look at, let's do what Peter tells us, and then let's, let's um, evaluate our steadfastness. Are we continuing to move forward or have we fallen away? Now, if you got to go get your kids, you probably just need to, to go ahead and get your kids. But otherwise, we're just going to close out in our small groups and dismiss from there. So if you need to get up and go, we're, we're a little bit late. You can do that. But otherwise, go ahead and, and, and grab a small group and let's at least pray over, over this list. So I'm going to close us out with prayer now. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We do not want to be like the scoffers who hear your truth. And then we, we just disregard it. They do it mockingly, but we don't want to do it pathetically, apathetically. 
So Lord, help us to, to be people who in the last times are a remnant that, that continues steadfast, whether everyone else falls away or not. So Lord, help us with this. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.